0: And uh, I always pray as I preach around the state uh, at different places. I love to be in our home church. This is home, my home church. And if we were just mentioning here before the service, um, I've been coming here since I was about 13 years old. So that was uh, four years ago, and that um, was a day or two. And um, did you catch that? It was a while ago. Remember, and I think uh, some of the ones that have been around that long will remember that uh, my my brother, and my myself, my sister, and my mother, and they thought we were siblings, or that my mother was my brother's girlfriend. They weren't sure. They quickly realized that she was uh, my mother. She's still here, so that's good, right? And <laughs> that was a long time ago. But anytime I I preach at different churches around the state, helping out and filling in, and some ministry that God has uh, just given to me for the time being, and. To come back home and be able to preach here is a great responsibility. Uh, you have, I mean, until you stand behind the pulpit and try and organize thoughts enough to help, <laughs> uh, help a group of people that is seated before you, you have no idea uh, the, the weight of that. But uh, I always pray and say, Lord, what, what do those folks need? And I was going in a completely different direction in preparation. I always am working on uh, sermons, messages, outlines. I just jot things down, my devotions and those types of things. And I was, gonna, I was preparing a message. And then about midweek, I said, the Lord just directed me to where we'll be today in Second Timothy chapter 4. And... It's almost no surprise because I love the pastoral epistles of First and Second Timothy and Titus. They're really amongst my favorite books as a pastor and pastor's heart. As uh, but it's so necess- so needful for the instruction of the church for us today in the day in which we live, and the I, I don't know how to put it, but the compromise of church in general today, and I'm saying in a in a general sense globally. You know, I trust that we have a great church and things uh, God is working in our church. These pastoral epistles written from the, the older man, Paul, to the ones to the sons in the faith, the ones that he is mentoring, Timothy and Titus, that he has left Timothy in Ephesus uh, to be the pastor and then Titus on the island of Crete. Uh, and he has, he by giving these men to these ministries, he's writing letters to them to help them and encourage them, instruct them as to how that, their work was to, to be done and what was to be done in the church. So they're very helpful to us today, this many years later, to see what God has written to his church. God loves his church. He loves this church. And uh, we need to take the, our, our walk with God and church life and the church body very, very seriously And uh, these things are written for our instruction in that way. You really get the heart of the mentor, the the older generation. I like to glean from the older generation as I'm becoming the older generation. And uh, I mean mean that, right? You're kind of in this weird no man's land between, I'm not young anymore by any means, and I'm not old, right, Bobby? Right, you told me that this morning. Bobby Caswell told me, he says, he has no idea. I don't, yet. And someday I'm going to be as old as him. And uh, but uh, it is uh, it is something uh, there is we're kind of in this we're all in this process somewhere, and we come to the word of God and it's it's so it's so important, and instructive, and helpful to us. And I hope and trust that because the Lord laid this this passage, very familiar passage from Second Timothy four, that is because of somebody here that needs to hear what Paul says to Timothy so long ago. We all have appointments in life, don't we? we uh, live, you know, we kind of have the schedule. I, a lot of people keep their schedule on their smartphone, but I'm just not smart enough to use the smartphone, so I don't. But we all have them. Our farmer neighbor in Nova Scotia would tell the story of an old, another older farmer. There's a good friend of ours, Scott White. He's a great guy. I hope he listens to this message and tell, so he knows I'm telling this story. But he always would say about an old farmer friend or relative of his that got up early on one morning did his farm chores, got all cleaned up and dressed for for church, only to find out that he had the wrong day. It was Saturday, not Sunday. And the old fellow said, well, it's better to be ready and not go than to go and not be ready. That was pretty good, right? Well, I tell you, I think like uh, Lorito the other day went to an appointment. She was an hour early. I'd rather be early than late. Are you with me on that? I say I'd like to. I'd rather be a half an hour early and five minutes late. Some of you ought to learn that lesson, anyway. But um, we all have uh, <laughs> we all have appointments, and uh, there's one appointment all of us here have in common. Hebrews nine twenty-seven. It says, "And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment." That's one appointment. We won't be late for most of you. That's a good thing, right? I don't know. He says, many times, most times, we don't know when that appointment will be. Paul, the apostle, did. He knew it was very close. He was waiting for the executioner. He's in prison as he writes this final letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. To encourage him to, to, to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. To continue in the things that he had learned. And to be a faithful minister of the gospel. Paul would be leaving. He'd be promoted to heaven. And he wanted Timothy to continue the work that he had begun. And so... Whether we are li- going to leave this life by death or by the rapture, and that's a whole other thing, but I'm waiting for the upper taker, not the undertaker, I always say. Where the rapture will meet as ch- children of God will meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we, we ever be with the Lord. And we're to comfort one another with those words. But we are, we are waiting for the any moment the imminent rapture of, of the church. Or... The other side of that is it could happen at any time. We might not make it through today where the Lord would call us, call us home. And the question that comes to, to, to my heart, we've been studying and, and Pastor Mark is going through the starting and beginning into the, the, pro, the prophecy section of the, the book of Revelation and uh, we anticipate all of the things that uh, will be uh, taught and unfolded in, in that in, in Revelation chapter 4 last week and then following as he continues. The question that came to my heart and why the Lord brought me to this passage, I believe, are we ready for that? Are we ready for an appointment? Now, I, I trust and it looks like most of us did this morning. We got up this morning and we got ready to come to church. Now that, for some of us, that doesn't take much because, you know, I don't have, my hair is quickly departing and it doesn't take long to comb it. And, uh, you know, I put on my, my knife, I ironed my shirt, I ironed it. It's not bad, I did a pretty good job. We got ready, outside, you know, put on our church face. Anyway, maybe we had no preparation at all, we just got up and came and that's good, I'm glad you did. But the fact is we get up, we get ready, we go to our appointment and we kind of know what's going to take place. But we don't know. We don't know when the Lord's going to come back or when the Lord's going to call us home. And the question that again remains in our hearts, are we ready? Are we ready to go? Maybe you said that to your spouse this morning. you ready to go? Didn't we say that? I think we did. Are you ready? Yeah, we're ready. We got in our van and we drove and we came. But the fact is are we really ready Paul was. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8, tells us about how he was ready. He was ready for his appointment. He was ready to go home. Let's look at it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 says, For I am now, what? Ready. I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. you see it there? I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all of them also, that love is appearing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for the eternal word of God. You have lifted up your word above your very name. And Lord, we have your word given to us. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but your word, this word, shall not pass away. And Lord, I pray that we would come with all seriousness and soberness before the word of God this morning. That we could say, like the apostle Paul said, I am now ready. In Jesus' name. Amen. A life that is ready. A life that is ready. First of all, we see from this verse 6, a life that is ready is committed. Or the word that we have here is consecrated. I am now ready to be offered. He's ready. He's ready now. And some of you are probably ready to go home now. But that don't go yet. okay? And you don't need to... Get, he didn't need necessarily to get ready. okay? He didn't, he didn't need to get ready. He was ready. He was already ready. Does that make sense? I don't know. But uh, it was a life that he lived a life that had prepared him for what he was facing or would be facing very shortly. The time of his departure was at hand. I mean, it was, it was imminent, it was at any time. That's what I was saying by way of introduction. It could happen in any moment. Can you imagine being where Paul was? He was in what they call the Mamertine prison. Some of us have heard some of that. It's a hole in the ground. And uh, they would lower the prisoner down in there, and uh, they would just chuck him down food every. Once- I don't know if "chuck" is the word, but they would put him, give him food every once in a while. And we think that the the doctor Luke perhaps was ministering to him somehow. There's a lot that goes around that he is down in that prison at the end of his life. Now it wasn't that he didn't have prison experience; he had been in prison, but the the prison experience of the of the prison epistles of of of. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, I forgot that they're in there. It's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. There we go. And uh, we have those, uh, those prison epistles. But those were kind of, that was kind of like, a, you know a minimum security prison. You remember that though? He had gotten in Philippi, he had gotten beaten with uh, many stripes and cast into the inner prison and bound there. But then all of a sudden, the Lord, what did, what did God do? Was sent in an earthquake and got him out. You remember that? That was the first time. But this is the last time. And he's in prison and he knows it's a death sentence. He's in to the end and the end is near. But he says, in that place, what would I be like in that place? I wouldn't be like Paul. He's writing a letter. Writing some things down. Still ministering. Still serving God. Till the bitter end he writes this to, he says, I'm ready. The time of my departure is at hand. And it was the life of commitment to Jesus Christ that prepared him for that moment, for that time. He had committed his life in salvation. We know this because the Bible records it for us in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 and verses 4 to 6 kind of describe for us some of, Paul's what we call his conversion experience where he came face to face with Jesus Christ, the glorified Lord, on the road to Damascus. Let me ask you this morning. Have you come face to face with the glorified Lord? The apostle Paul, Saul was the one. He was named Saul and then became Paul later. As God changed him and then changed his name. He he came face to face with Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 9 verses 4 to 6 the Bible says and he fell to the earth speaking of Saul or Paul and heard a voice saying unto him Saul Saul why persecutest thou me And he said Paul said Saul who art thou lord In a moment he knew who he was speaking with and he calls him lord and he says what wilt thou have me to do There was a something that transpired this this man that was persecuting the church now became, and persecuting those that followed Christ now became a follower of Christ. He committed his all to Jesus Christ. We could look over in Philippians chapter 3 and you could take time to look at that. We won't take time for that this morning. But all of the things that he had been depending on for, to gain favor with God. The fact that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin uh, touching the law of Pharisee. He said in Philippians 3.7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. And he said, Put away with all that stuff. I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ for all eternity. No more finding favor in myself, trying to gain favor with God. I am putting my faith in Jesus Christ who has bought my pardon. Now let me ask you this morning, have you done that today? Paul came to that place that he knew he was a sinner. And that everything and anything he could attempt to do to save himself, he could not do it. And he placed his faith in Jesus Christ. He committed his life in salvation. The second thing that we see from Acts chapter 9, that he committed his life for service. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Immediate, it was an immediate thing for the Apostle Paul, for, for Saul at that point. He said, what do you want me to do? I am putting my faith in you, now I'm going to serve you with my life. That's a life of commitment, and that's what God has called us to do. I know that a lot of you probably see me up behind this pulpit and you say, Oh my goodness, that guy is a blubbering, my goodness, he's loud mouth and he jumps all over the place. I can't help it. I'm Virgil! (laughs) If you don't know what Virgil is, go to... I don't know. You don't even want to see it, really. But uh, during VBS, and we, I was doing the skits and acting like the fool, and uh, you, some of you probably have a hard time taking me seriously anymore. But uh, it was a lot of fun. What I'm saying is, that's just part of service. You serve the Lord. Paul got to the point, and he, it was immediate for him. For me in my life and my testimony, it took a long time to get there. Where I would submit myself and surrender myself to service for God. For Paul, it was says, you know what, I'm going to... Trust Jesus Christ and I'm going to serve Him. And it was the same thing. It was the same time. He said, I'm going to give my all. It was a life of commitment to service for the Lord. And serve, serving God is our full-time job as believers. Do you know that? Somebody come up to you and maybe they come up and ask me, what do you do for a job? Well, I have a hard time describing my new job. Uh, here a few months ago, I changed jobs. And what do you do? I, I'm still trying to figure it out. But my full-time job, your full-time job, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're working a job day by day, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Our full-time job as believers today is to serve Christ. And Paul, said, Paul knew that. He did that. And he committed himself to that. He committed his life to sacrifice or to suffering, we could say. Romans 12.1, he would say with that great book, Romans, where he unfolds all of that we have in Christ. And then he comes to Romans chapter 12, and verse, verse 1, and he says, I beseech you, I beg you, by the mercies of God, has God been merciful to you? Yes, he has. That you, that, he says, that by the mercies of God, that presents you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's only fitting that we would serve God with our lives. Paul realized that. He lived a life of commitment. He didn't get to the Mamertine prison. He didn't get to the end of his life and say, I better get ready. He said, I am ready. Because he lived a life of commitment. He put his all in Jesus Christ. He served God with his life. And it didn't matter what Paul went through. He knew Jesus was with him. And that Jesus was going to see him home. Do you have that assurance today? You know that? Are you ready? Are you ready to go? It's a life of commitment. That's what it's all about. Acts chapter twenty. I wasn't going to turn there, but I have it written down in my notes, so I better see why I put it there. <laughs> Acts chapter twenty, verses twenty-two to twenty-four it says, and oh, this just gives an example again. Oh, this is the attitude of Paul. I forgot what the verse was about, <laughs> but it's good. And it says, he said this, he says, and now, Acts 20, verse 22, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit into Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. We learned about abide this morning. That's what, it was constant, it was there with him. But none of these things move me. Nothing was going to deter him. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. Catch that. Finish my course with joy. We're going to catch up with that in a minute. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. So then the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said, you know what, I don't know what's ahead. But I've committed my life to Jesus. And whatever is ahead, it's the course he has for me. And I'm going to do it. You could read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's the catalog of of Paul's sufferings. He talks about being shipwrecked and beaten and all of these things. Those are the things he says didn't move him. Didn't bother him. Oh, it had to hurt. I'm sure it wasn't easy. But it was a life that was committed, consecrated, given to Jesus Christ. In salvation, in service, in surrender through suffering. The life that is ready is committed. We see secondly from 2 Timothy chapter 4 and now verse 7. A life that is ready. I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. He says, I have fought a good fight. I put it this way, a life that is ready is not only committed, but it's courageous. It's courageous. It's one of courage. Verse 7 is in the past tense. In other words, those things have already happened. And Paul's race, his life was coming to an end. There was simply no more left to do except write a letter (laughs) and commune with God. He had done it all. He had courage, we see very clearly from the verse, that he had courage to fight. Courage to fight. I have fought a good fight. A good fight. Fought is just like with, it means to engage in conflict. He had fought. He had engaged in the battle. Have you done that? Have you part, are you in the battle? Are you in the front lines of the battle for Jesus Christ today? He fought a good fight. It says, uh, I don't know, I, I tell you, this fighting thing, I'm not, I'm not much of a fighter. I remember getting in a fight once. I was, it was, we were sliding. We, we're from East Benton, and our neighbor, his name was Lee Giro. He had a long driveway with a hill. I don't know why I'm giving you these details, but they all come to my mind right now. only fight I think I've ever been in, other than my brother. But um, that doesn't count, because he always won. Anyway, uh, and uh, we, we were sliding down this hill. It was a long hill, and uh, we were sliding. And I don't know, my, it was a friend of mine. Eric Gott. And my mother probably doesn't even know this. She's, yeah, yeah, she's looking at me like, what? really, you? And I said, yeah. I don't, know, I don't know what he did. I was, we were good friends, and you know how friends sometimes fight. Well, this one was bad. It came to blows. And I just—I was just a skinny, a skinny kid, you know. just a, I always said, you just picture a, tooth, a, a Q-tip, and that was me. I had fuzzy hair on top, as skinny as a real, and that was me. And I just started swinging. I didn't know how to fight, but here I am fighting. And just about the time Eric caught me right on the chin with his fist, I said, that is enough for me. I'm not fighting anymore. That's not the kind of fight Paul's talking about. He's not talking about, you know what, it's going to come to blows. He's talking about the fight that we all are engaged in as Christians here today. He says, I fought a good fight. It wasn't the fight that you had with your spouse on the way to church this morning. That wasn't a good fight. The good fight is the spiritual battle that we are engaged in where we are standing for truth and speaking the truth and love to others that need to hear the truth. It's the spiritual battle that we talk about. It's been a theme of our church and continues to, we continue to be reminded of it. Ephesians 6.12, where we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the, the uh, rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what we're involved in. That's why we're told in 2 Peter 3:9 to be sober, to be vigilant, because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour us. He wants to destroy us, and it's a battle that we are involved in. And Paul says, I have fought a good fight. The fight was now over. He was a tired soldier, but he had fought. He had lived his life and stood for Jesus for all those years and through all those troubles. 2 Corinthians 10.4 tells us, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not of the flesh, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I love that verse. It pictures for us, you know, the devil, our adversary, wants to get strongholds in our life in this battle that we fight against him. And he wants to set up a, a, a place in your life where he gets in and says, you know what, I'm taking that ground, and now I'm going to try and capture more ground. But we are going to capture those, the weapons of our, our warfare with spiritual warfare, where we're going to get rid of those things out of our life and retake the ground. And Paul says, I've fought a good fight. May we have courage to fight. And to stand strong in the spiritual warfare, you know, it's not getting easier. Did you notice? If it's getting easier to live for Christ in this day and age, I would say that we're not living for Christ. We fought a good fight. He had fought a good fight. He had courage to fight. He had courage to finish. I have finished my course. Course is a race course. And Paul f- finished his race, and he simply didn't quit. I don't know if I've said this here or at one of the other churches. I don't know, sometimes you know, the examples kind of run together, and if I have, I think it's a good one. But, you know, we could start a race here today, and, you know, we could get out here on, on, uh, on Spring Street and say, you know what, I'm, I'm, we're going to have a race. Line up the starting line, and we take off running. Now, some of us probably wouldn't go very fast, and I'd be with you. And I uh, wouldn't get very far. We say, but we have to race to the end of the street. And you say, you know what, I'd, be, I'd, I'd get ready in Virgil mode and take right off and go off like a running. And I'd get, <laughs> I'd get about halfway down the street, I'd start running out of steam if I made it that far. And um, you know what, then some of the kids, you know, they'd just keep right on and going. And you, some of us would say, forget it, I'm, I'm going to walk. And some of us would say, would somebody carry me? But say I was way ahead. Just say. It's just an example. It's a bad one, but it's an example. And we're going down the street, and I'm way, way ahead. But I never get to the end. Did I finish? And did I win? No. If I quit halfway, I I didn't finish the race. So therefore, I don't win. You see, and that's how it is for Paul. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. And now he says, I've finished my course. The race that God had for Paul, he finished. i thought about that over and over again. What does God have for me? What about my course? What about your course? You know, I can't run your race. You can't run my race. I couldn't run his race and he couldn't run mine. God has a race for each of us. We have to stay in our lane. And we have to finish. If we want to be ready, we have to finish the race. Hebrews 12.1 tells us, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. That's us. We're to run the race that God has for each of us. He has courage to finish. The life that is ready has courage. Courage to fight. Courage to finish. We can see from the verse as well: courage and faithfulness and faith. He kept the faith. He stayed at it. Paul, this great apostle to the Gentiles, the word for kept the faith here is just that idea, not only that he had faith, but that he was faithful. Faithful. You know, I love I love watching the older saints, those that are older than me those that have been around here since I was a kid. And I love watching their faithfulness. And I want to encourage, I want to encourage the older generation, finish strong, finish strong. You say, I'm tired. Is that what you say? I'm sure you are. Dealing with people like me? I bet you're plum worn out. Yeah, I think of Mrs. Weymouth back in the Christian school. I was only here a year or so that was enough for her, huh, sure, she had worse ones than me too, I think, but it is the faithful servants, I think of Mrs. Poole back there, I think of Clara over here, Barbara, these, um, Larita back there, I'm going to leave ones out, they've been around here as long as I've been alive, yeah, I love to see faithful servants. And that's what God has called us to do. You want to be ready when Jesus comes? You want to be ready if God would call you home today? Be faithful. Give him your all. You say, but my all is different than it used to be. Well, give him what you got left. I remember, and I, I know I've mentioned this before, if not here elsewhere as well, but a brother Tony Miller is a pastor down in, North, in uh, South Carolina on Greenville at uh, Morning, Baptist, Morning Star Baptist Church, I think. Heard him preach up in Forest Lynn Bible Camp up in Canada. And he was an older man and had pastored for years, a faithful, faithful, just a real great guy in a pastor's heart. And he came to the place. He loved outdoors and hunting and doing all of those things. And uh, he said he had to come to a place where he had to surrender to his limitations, That that spoke to me. It's speaking to me more now. (laughs) Because the older we get, we realize we can't do what we used to do. But the older we get doesn't mean God is done with us. God is not done with you. He has you here for a reason. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be like Paul. Invest in the next generation. You say, well, they don't listen. Keep telling them. Mentor them. Work with them. God is is not done with you. Keep the faith. Don't faint. Don't faint. Be ready. Be ready to go home with the Lord. Be ready to hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. A life that is ready is committed. It's courageous. We see number three from verse eight. Number three, it's confident. It's confident. I love this verse. Because Paul says, Henceforth, because... He had fought a good fight because he had finished his course and because he had kept the faith. Henceforth, there is. Don't you love that? It's not there might be, it's not the I may be. I don't know. He says, There is. There is laid up for me. I love this. He said, the, So the, this is, he was confident. This is the way I put it, the way I think. He says, He was confident of the reserve, it was laid up. And that means it was stored, it was reserved, it was laid aside. That was the idea. There was something stored aside. Paul had sent treasures on up ahead. He says, so let me ask us all this morning, where are we laying up our treasures? Where moth and rust doth corrupt? Where thieves break through and steal? Or are you laying up treasures in heaven? Where none of those things happen, right? Have you been robbed? I was robbed once. We was over here on the Mutton Lane Road. We had a house was just a little ways down the Mutton Lane. And I uh, had a garage there. You remember that, Michelle? And um, I didn't walk, nothing. I still don't. You want to go into our house? It's unlocked. We got a 13 year old dog in there. She might gum you to death. I just never figured I really had much anybody wanted. Probably still don't. But anyway, over here, we one day, one day I went out to the garage and I was trying to find a tool, and it's like most times I just misplaced it somewhere, you know. Didn't take care of it. But uh, I was looking around, and said, "Wait a minute! I know it was right here." Then I started looking around. What? There was all kinds of stuff missing. Oh, it was bad. It was still the old mill over here. Uh of you remember that over in town. And I went down. I went for. I was mad. Somebody stole from me. And I went down around. I said, "I wonder if they laid." I don't know why. I thought they'd lay it behind the mill. But I did. I went for a walk down around town, looked in all the nooks and crannies. I never did find my stuff. That was a bad feeling. But you know what? There is a, the, uh, the Apostle Paul is telling us all, if we're going to live a life that's ready, we lay up treasures in heaven, nobody can steal that. Nobody can take that away. Once it's, you know, our salvation is free. Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins. But the Bible clearly teaches that our reward is earned. That's done through a life of service to God. And we can either earn it or not. That's really entirely up to us. Our salvation is secure in Jesus. And any reward that we earn in our service to Jesus is secure in heaven as well. And Paul says, henceforth, there is... No doubt, laid out for me, a crown, a crown, and that's what we see. He was confident of the reward, not only of the reserve but of the reward—a crown of righteousness. Now it's a Stephanos. We get the, the name Stephanie. All right. We have a daughter. Stephanie's here. Don't tell her. It's the crowned one, right? But it is that it's a victor's crown. It's the laurel wreath. You've seen kind of pictures of that. They put the flimsy little leaf things on top of their head. They just about killed themselves, and they give them leaves. And uh, yeah, but that pretty much speaks to our point, because we will work and we will strive and we will wear ourselves out for what? Money in the bank? A new car? You name it. And we will strive and we will work and it's all going to burn. But if you lay up treasures in heaven, he says there is a crown that can be won. You say, well, what about that crown? There's all kinds of crowns and I didn't write them down and you can do that study on your own. It's more than just something temporary, it is permanent. And he was confident of that reward. And Paul was anticipating his Savior, the righteous judge. That's what it says here, right? Which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me. He was the one that was going to place that crown on his head. What a scene that will be. That will be for all of us. That love is appearing. We'll get to that in a minute. But what about this crown? What are we going to do with them? I mean, think about it. If it was a gold crown, what good is that going to do in heaven? Gold they paved the streets with. Hello? I mean, what good is a golden crown? Well, it tells us, and we looked at it last week, Revelation 4.10. It tells us exactly what. It says, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. You know what we're going to do with our crowns? We're going to give them back to Jesus. Because he's the one that gives them to us. He's the one that gives us his grace to earn them to begin with. It's all about Jesus. And Paul was sure that it was reserved and that there was reward in heaven for him. He was ready. He, Paul, is confident also as I mentioned a bit ago, sneak peek, right, of the recipients, unto all those that all that all I gotta read the verse. Shall give me at that day, and not to me only, Paul says, but unto all them also that love is appearing. You see, it's for all of us. It's for all of us. Let me ask, are you and us? It's for those that love is appearing. Are we looking forward to seeing Jesus? Are you looking forward to going to glory in heaven with Him? You can only go there because of the righteous blood of Jesus that was shed for you. And because of the life that Jesus lives today, because He rose again and He lives forever. You can have the Jesus life. And I say that with all sincerity. Because the, Jesus, the life that Jesus gives is eternal life. If you know Jesus Christ today, you're already living eternal life. It's begun. It's in an old, wretched, decrepit body that's breaking down and going to the grave. But eternal life is begun. And I look forward to being with Him. Am I ready? See, a ready life is one that's committed committed have you committed your heart life your sin to him that he's paid for already have you committed it all to him it's never ever too late to commit your life to jesus christ the ready life is courageous courageous i want to encourage us all keep fighting keep fighting keep standing for truth keep serving god keep going don't quit don't quit the courageous life, keep fighting, finish strong and be faithful. And then the ready life is confident. A reward that is laid up. It's there. It's ready. It's ready for me. It's being stored aside. It's being reserved. That reward is a crown that I can give back to Jesus who deserves my all and will have it all. And to all that love is appearing, we're his recipients. Let's bow our heads in prayer this